Thank you to our sponsor, the Open Society Foundations, an organization that works to build vibrant, inclusive societies whose governments are accountable and open to the participation of all people. Welcome to another episode of the Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. I'm today's host, Rashid Shabazz, Chief Marketing and Storytelling Officer at Color of Change. The Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast was created as an extension of Color of Change Hollywood, an initiative changing the rules in Hollywood, ensuring accurate, diverse, empathetic, and human portrayals of black people on television and throughout the media landscape. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, a friend, to color change, actor, writer, and founder of Liberated People, and in the 10 vintage, Kimbinga Akinaibe. Ooh, that was close. <laughs> All of it was close. <laughs> I got it though, I got it. No, you uh, didn't. <laughs> well, why, don't you, why don't you correct it for us? Because that's what we want no, to do. And it's on vintage. And Benga Kinabe, but thank you for having me. Okay, thank, thank you, you brother. For having me. <laughs> Benga is an original cast member of Aaron Sorkin's Broadway adaptation of the novel To Kill a Mockingbird. It's Tom Robinson, his experience bringing the character to life, and also how the play speaks to issues we see in today's flawed criminal justice system. Benga, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I want to start first by the role you played in Tom Robinson. In the play, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, Tom is a black man living in a racist town, falsely accused of raping a white girl, put on trial and eventually killed. Novels written 60 years ago, and yet we're still experiencing some of the same issues today. Throughout the play, we saw how fair, racism, bigotry played key roles in the lack of justice and killing of Tom Robson. So I'm curious to hear from you a little bit of how the role itself, um, the process for it, why you decided to play this role? One of the people I got to work with as far as collaborators, uh, Aaron Sorkin, Celia Keenan-Bogner, um, Bart, Bart Scher, they, and obviously the, the, the base material, the, the novel, it, it, it's kind of in many ways America's story. And then to, to see what Aaron was gonna do with this, I mean, from the first day, of the workshop, he made it uh, very clear that he wanted to elevate the black voices in in this production in a way that wasn't done in the novel, in a way that wasn't done in in the film. Both great pieces as, uh, as they stand on their own, but problematic as well. Um, so I, I was interested to see what that looks like, and he also wanted to minimize the 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 role of the white savior, and I thought that was that was going to be challenging and very interesting in a in a in a in this particular piece. Um, because a lot of it, a lot of it, you know, it's through the, the, the gaze of this, this liberal white family in the South um, that explore very valid things. And so uh, it, it, was, it was an interesting challenge to me, and I was fortunate to, to be asked to be a part of it. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And just one of the things that stood out to me just thinking about the play and just the, the role that you have um, played in it is that Color Change recently just launched this campaign called uh, Justice Not Fair to combat the fear mongering of prosecutors, lawmakers, and others using to their efforts to stop criminal justice reform. Um, in the play itself, though, you talk about the role that, can you talk a little bit about the role that fear and bigotry actually played out in the play itself? The, you, it's, it's easy to, it was easy to get a town of people to think that this one-armed, 
black man held down this woman and beat her with two arms and beat her and, and, and then raped her, uh, despite all the, the lack of evidence and, and, and despite the, the facts, it was easy because it, 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 there was already fear instilled in these people of these other people. Um, and you find that you find that in To Kill a Mockingbird, you find that in, in, in patterns all over the world, especially when you want to get a group of people to act in a certain way. Right? You, it's, it, it's easier to control people when, when, they're, when you drive, when you stimulate their fears and their desires. Um, and you see that all through, through to, uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, it's explored um, in, in great depth. Because in the end, even though these people are doing a horrible thing, what the play does is, is also interrogate our, our ideas of empathy. Who deserves empathy? Um, how, how it's delivered? How we, how we shut it down? So it's, that, it's, it's, it's complicated because in my, in my, I've seen a lot of people leave that play kind of just like perplexed about who they think they are. Um, and and, that, and that's, that's, that's very interesting to me. So it, a lot of that has to do with the exploration, of, of the exploration and implementation of fear in, in, with the individual and with the group. The point that you just made about the interrogation of who they are, one of the things that last year you wrote a piece for the Washington Post and interrogate the way you felt as well and how playing this role played out for you on stage every night, hearing the N-word, every word from the in front of a white audience. Um, this is such obviously a heavy role for you to play. Can you talk a little bit about the impact this had on you? Like the actually this play itself and the way in which it's had maybe transformed you in any way in terms of your activism because you're an activist as well. It stayed with me. I mean, we workshopped it for a year in the basements of Lincoln Center, and just being around a table of white people saying the N word like left and right, it, like it was jarring at first. But then I realized, like, okay, this is we're here to kind of explore this, talk about race, talk about that gender and the times. Um, and it was good to have that conversation for over a year, like, like just taking apart this piece of material with the playwright. And then when we got onto stage and started doing it in front of like an audience. It, it, it hit me differently, very much so, because now I'm in front of a, a largely white and affluent audience who, to a great deal, share a lot of my politics, but still are benefactors from this very racist system. So that, all of that, speaking of complications, was really complicated for me. Um, and then to be the, the subject of the, this fear and, and ire of the town throughout the entire play, I, it was it was over and over and over, and then after it was all done, go outside and just do my, my regular life, but still know that that system is in full swing there. Uh, it was, it was, it was, I had a lot of therapeutic bike rides back to Brooklyn <laughs> after the show. Uh, it, it was, I, just, I just need to listen to this music and ride this bike, and it's just, that's what I need right now. So, but I, I was glad, it's, it stayed with me. It's, it, it's what spurred me to write the, the piece for the post. It's what spurred me to, to then create the, the Mockingbird Project which I'm, I'm proud to say that you all are, are partnering with, along with Innocence Project, to further kind of explore and, and reimagine what it looks like to have a criminal justice system not based in fear, but based in justice. It's funny, when you, when you just break it down as simple, like, as simple as that to folks, they don't even realize that our, our, our criminal justice system is so based in fear, because it's what we've known. It's, it's, like a, it's a law, it's things that we accept, have accepted without questioning, but then when we start to talk to people about actually reimagining it, it's the first time they think like, oh, we can do this differently? And like, yeah, yeah, you can do it differently and, and, and in a way that where you know, folks aren't being killed in the streets as readily just for implicit bias.
I appreciate that. You mentioned the Mockingbird Project. Can you talk a little bit about the impetus of it, why you started it? You mentioned it a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about it? And Color Change, obviously, we're in partnership with you and Innocence Project, as you mentioned. So we're excited for the opportunity, but can you share a little bit more? It, well, a lot of it came from my experience doing this play. It just, it, as you mentioned, it, kept, it it affected me and I wanted to do more. After I wrote that, that piece and, and people felt like they could talk to me more about it, I was approached a lot, particularly by white people who I didn't realize were had been thinking a lot of the things that I was thinking about as far as me playing this role and how complicated that was. I wanted to do more to diversify the audiences. And not only that, but like get folks who were more directly impacted by the criminal justice system because I saw this play as, as an exploration of that. And so I, I had this thought of like if, if I could buy out half the house and then fill it with people who were you know impacted by this system and then have this uh, conversation about it. And so I, I approached the Innocence Project and asked them if they would partner with me on this and I was grateful that they jumped right on board and, and they loved the idea and then we started to build it out. And, uh, and then we thought of other possible partners and uh, of course Color for Change was on that, uh, high up on that list and, and you guys were really registered with it which is great. And last night was amazing because last night was the first of the two night event where we had actually brought 550 people to be in the audience and not only 500 people who were directly impacted by the criminal justice system but like a number of people who work with them, over 30 different nonprofits who work with folks and serve folks in the, uh, who've been impacted. And that was amazing to see people react to the, I, I've done that show over 400 times and I've, I've never seen people respond and react to it the way that I saw last night because they, it was all variations of their stories. And so it was, it was amazing. So that, that's how it started. And then the, the next part is we're gonna have a, uh, a town hall discussion uh, with the playwright, Aaron Sorkin, with uh, the public advocate of New York, Jamani Williams and, and Rashad Robinson. You know, it's just a, n a number of like voices on that stage to kind of dissect this and hopefully get folks in the audience because I want it to be a town hall and, and interactive to start to take ownership in, in reimagining the system. And so there'll be uh, an opportunity for people to find out how they can get involved in their in their areas. You mentioned the idea of stories and the ability to want to tell the stories of others and elevating those stories. One of the things that we believe is that it's important that stories have the power to shift culture and perception. And obviously you believe that as well, the work that you're doing. Uh, we've seen recent projects like When They See Us, Justice, Just Mercy, that's just come out looking to really go mobilize and push people to really reform the criminal justice system. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more what you're hoping the audience will take away when they come and see you perform at night. At the end of the night, what you're hoping they will do in action and response to the play. You, well, I'm not in the play anymore. Yeah. But, but I mean, I think it all comes, like you said, comes down to story. Like this, I often tell myself that like our memories are just the stories we tell ourselves of what happened. Right, and they and they shift and they change depending on our emotional state. They take that to outside of ourselves, and that's pretty much like how we interact with one another. Like what I think of someone else is, is basically the stories I tell myself of that person, and then what I bring to it. So that's how powerful stories are, right? They they, they define our realities and our perceptions. If we start to realize that and take responsibility for the power of stories, we can start to influence that and get truer stories out there. You know, as far as how we interact with one another, how we perceive one another, how we give to one another, it's all done through stories. And to be able to tell this story, having told this story for a year, and, and to see the effects of it and how it's affected me after I've left the play, 
I, I mean, it's inspired me for the, like for the rest of my life as far as storytelling. The story you told about bike riding after the play back to Brooklyn, just to clear your head, one of the things that color changed, and this is on a lighter note, uh, we often like to center the idea of black joy um, and the importance of it. And is we this, know- Is this the part where you're gonna give me a bike? Uh, maybe they could open that, that's going to give me some back joy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had a bike for you, but maybe uh, we could talk about that maybe one day. Uh, but we know it's not the absence of pain always, but intentionally centering the idea of power, beauty, and hope. And so, you know, one question we have for you is you talked about a little bit. It's like, how do you take care of yourself? What does the self-care look like after working so hard for over 400 performances plus? Um, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take what self-care look like for, for Benga? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly still learning how to do that because uh, I'm so used to like just like, the hustle. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy what I do and I enjoy being able to tell stories about things I care about using my art. So it's, it's hard for me to, to take a, a break from that. But I am interested very much in, in learning because it's, I am realizing how important it is, self-care. So as of right now, self-care usually consists of me riding my bike to go someplace to work and I'm um, eating brownies and ice cream every night, every <laughs> single night. That's, that's, it's like my cognac at the end of the day, take the edge off the day, I'm not even gonna lie. Uh, I like that, I like that. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about your other projects, like, you know, Liberated People. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, what that is for those who are listening? Because, you know, you're an entrepreneur as well. You're an activist, you're an entrepreneur, you're an actor. Can you talk a little bit about Liberate People, your other ventures? Sure. Um, so Liberated People is a lifestyle brand. It's completely steeped in social activism. It, it came about because I, I, I was, years ago, I was a part of a number of different protests around the, around the world. And I was fortunate to be able to be in the streets with people who, who looked differently, who spoke different languages. Um, but when I got back to the States, what hit me it was that like the, all these people were in the streets fighting for things in their countries and in their communities, but in actuality, they're they're all pretty much fighting for the same things, the same their their human and democratic rights. And I thought like if I could somehow help join te uh, the telling of the stories or join those those energies, that like and that, that they, people would be stronger for it. Like if we identified with the struggles of other people in another country. And, and, and or another culture or another community that we may not realize that we have something in common, even if their struggle doesn't look like our struggle, it is, because they're fighting for their rights. And if that's how we started to count people, we would realize we have the numbers, we have the power. And so I wanted to make something that, that would be emblematic of that, and so Liberated People came into being to be a, a platform where those things could, can be discussed, where support can be garnered, and you can rock a cool sweatshirt or t-shirt <laughs> to, say, to say what it is you believe in um, and hopefully connects you to other folks. We launched the hashtag our son Trayvon hoodie um, a, a few years ago to raise money for uh, the Trayvon Martin Foundation. That's been amazing. It's like obviously Sabrina and Tracy have been doing amazing work to take this tragedy and, and make it something that like, can like, affect a nation. And so to be able to help spread that with this hoodie and, and making it something that people recognize and, and understand that, that speaks to a larger mission, to a larger story than just what happened to them, that's kind of what Liberated People is about. I just want to say, I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my favorite t-shirts is one of the Liberate People's t-shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
uh, it's I get a lot of comments on it. Was so, it the Nation okay, States right? one? It's the Nation States one. I love the Nation States t-shirt. Thank you, man. Um, so to wrap up, um, one, thank you again for joining us. But I wanted to ask you a question we always ask our guests. The hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast. What is one story that has not been told about our community that you would love to see on the Hollywood big screen? Oi. <laughs> There's one story that has not been told. It's funny because part of me is like, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that now. I can't, I can't say nothing. I think I want nobody says steal that. it. <laughs> everybody says that. Of course, we are art hustlers. That's what we are. We art hustlers trying to get our art out there and tell uh, these stories. Be careful what you say. Yeah, exactly. Be careful what you say know, on hashtag story and tell black stories. I, mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I will say that it, it's a great time that you have so many people like working. You have Lena Waith. You have Issa Rae. You have all these people. You have, like working, get these stories out, right? and having the opportunities to, to do that. So the, the premise of your question is that it actually highlights like, like, like a really great thing. That, what, those stories, and they exist, that we, you know, we're gonna keep them secret on, is like, it's because we're about to get them out there and everybody's gonna see that, you know what I mean? So, so that's dope, so they exist. You'll see it once on screen, you'll see it. You'll <laughs> so I guess it. you're not gonna answer the question. No, I just need to be able to beat Nina that, to screen with it, that's what it is, because I know she out there plotting. I know Check she them is. out in the next, uh, go see the film. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, yeah, you'll see it in the movie theaters. <laughs> go to the movie theaters, we'll check you. Binga, thank you so much for being on Hashtag Tell Black Stories. Thank you, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you again to Binga Akinabe for joining us. Don't forget to check out To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. And be sure to catch up on all episodes of the Hashtag Tell Black Stories podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, do not look away from miscarriages of justice that are happening now. Stand up, say something. To join the movement, text Mockingbird to 52886.